So I'm going to be reading from um, Matthew 5, and the words I'm reading are part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We'll be doing three sermons this week, next week Pastor Peter, and then the week after I'll pick up again on this little section of uh, Matthew 5. Um, I encourage you in your time to read at least uh, 17, verse 17 to the end of the chapter because it kind of gives some of this context, but I will just be reading the paragraph 21 through 26. Hear God's words from Matthew 5. You've heard it, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, and there remember your, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while, you're on, while you are to still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, tough topic today. I take it that you felt that as uh, Ruthann led us in lament. Um, that sometimes we have to pause and deal with things that are, um, yeah, don't bring us joy and peace and excitement. And yet it's vitally important that if we are to truly be the followers of Jesus Christ in this world, if we are truly called to transform this world, that we also face that which is broken, because part of our calling is to help bring healing and reconciliation and truth. And so hopefully we can go on that journey today. So we're in this series called Beautiful Messy Relationships, capturing both that beautiful side and that messy side. We started with a couple of sermons on residual relationships, focusing on the fact that our relationship with Jesus Christ reshapes, transforms, guides all of our other relationships in life, which means that being a part of this community should shape how we interact with others. And then last week we talked about your beautiful messy family, so recognizing our, our, our home life kinds of things, and today... Um, we're going to get into the difficult topic of anger and abuse. So, um, I sent out an encouragement to read 2 Samuel 13. Um, I once read it in a worship service and preached on it in an, on an Abuse Awareness Sunday. I don't think I actually made it through that reading without breaking down. Um, it's a powerfully blunt, forthright, and instructive story. It is not a story that tells you how to handle abuse. Actually, it's a story that says there is abuse, the Bible knows about it, and this is not how to handle it, to be quite honest. Um, you are, of course, totally free to read that on your own. I didn't. Um, so, a while back, and um, when I tell the story, I want to tell you that you don't know these people, so don't try and figure out who I'm talking about, because I'm quite sure they are definitely not listening to this and you don't know them, so um, give it that kind of confidentiality. 
But I walked with somebody through um, prayer, helping them heal from a past abusive experience. And someone was asking me, you know, how was your week? What was going on? And I told them that that's what I had been doing. And, and I immediately read on the person's face that, that I had triggered something for them. Um, they had a, a past and a history. And then we ended up talking about that. And just let that be the reason why I'm not reading that passage. Um, if any of this stuff, even just talking about it, triggers something, raises something inside of you, please look for someone to walk with, whether that be me or a counselor or a close friend. Um, don't sit in this stuff on your own. The reason we're talking about it is to make it really clear we can talk about this stuff, we need to talk about this stuff, and we trust we can move forward in a healthy way as well. So what happens in 2 Samuel 13 in kind of a broad overview is there, there's abuse within David's family, King David's family, and then there's such shame around that 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 actually brings out anger in the perpetrator. And of course, what shame also does is, is it pushes that code of silence, right? And we as a, a community, we as families, we have that reality in us too that when something horrible happens, we don't know how to deal with it. And so our, our, one of our drives is to say, why don't we just not talk about that? I hope it goes away, right? We may not say those words, but our, our function kind of goes there. And then when King David finds out about this abuse that takes place in this story, he's angry, but that anger doesn't lead anywhere. And that just to me is so instructive as well that, that um, a lot of us, when we hear about something horrible that's happened, we, we get all that emotion but I think, and that's the rest of this sermon, we need to understand that Jesus actually calls us to more than having an emotional response to something. There are actually things we need to face and deal with and do in order to move forward in a healthy fashion as followers of Jesus. So this line has been in every sermon that I've preached anyways in this series. Our relationship with Jesus is, me, is meant to reshape all of our other relationships. David's relationship with God was meant to challenge him to deal with what happened in his family in a much healthier way than he did. Likewise, for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, there is the hope that as we follow Jesus, there are actually healthy ways for us to face down even some of the most difficult things that happen in our lives. And so we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, and then it goes to you are the salt and you are the light of the world, where Jesus basically tells us you are, you are meant to um, lead transformative change in the lives of your community. That includes your family, your church, of course, but also the people who live around you. And then he moves into fulfilling the law, which I want to suggest to you is his way of saying, if you're going to be salt and light in the world, this is actually how you do it. If you're going to change the way this world functions, you actually have to live into the fulfillment, as he calls it, of the law. And I want to just give a little... Um, background on what that really means. Because when we get to this part of, of the law, and you're going to see it this week, you'll see it next week, and probably the third week as well, that Jesus says some pretty strange things, to be honest. Right? Next week, Pastor Peter gets to talk about how if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. And I know that some of you have had your eyes cause you to sin, and I see a lot of two-eyed people hanging around here, right? So there's, there's some, some really challenging, pushing things. Jesus also says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I'm not here to get rid of this law. I'm here to fulfill it. And this is one of those times where I'm not going to tell you that the translation of fulfill really should be such and such and so on. I'll do that when I need to. But this one is really simple. Fulfill means fill till it's full. It's that simple. So when Jesus says, 
I know you've heard, do not murder. He's going to fill that up. And when he fills it up, he says, it's not just good enough that you haven't killed somebody. If you hate, if you're angry, if you say you fool, if you say raka, all that stuff's in this passage, you're guilty of breaking that law. Now, what we've done historically with this, I think sometimes, is we say, man, I, I, I can't live. That standard's way too high. Oh, and then we say, maybe this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is putting the, the bar so high that I'm so aware that there's no way I can ever do those things, and so I must depend on his grace and trust him to save me. And now you must depend on his grace and trust him to save you, but I want to suggest to you that when Jesus is instructing us on how to follow and fulfill the law, he actually expects us to do it. All right? This isn't Jesus going, there's no way you can do this. I've got it. Don't sweat it. Away we go. He's actually saying, as you follow me, Keep on working on these things because I actually expect you, as you follow me as my disciples, to start growing in your ability to do these things better and better and better. He fills it up to its fullest. In fact, what he's saying is, you heard it. Actually, I'm on my next slide. Let me wait till I get to my next slide. So Jesus is a rabbi, right? And as an authoritative rabbi, you'll, you'll hear it a couple times in the Gospels. They say, and they marveled at him because he spoke as one with authority, right? And most of us as North Americans probably think, wow, when, when, when Pastor Eric gets all excited, he seems like he has some authority, or, or that person, because of, of the way they speak, they have some sense of authority. Jesus' authority was that he was one of those rabbis that when he said, I know you've heard it said, as he says right here, People listen because he had the right, and I'm not sure exactly how you got this right, but he had the right to say, there's actually another way of looking at this. And there were very few rabbis who had this kind of authority, right? And that's why they gravitated towards Jesus. Um, Hillel was one of them, by the way. Jesus sometimes agrees with Hillel, sometimes disagrees with them. There were certain people who had that kind of powerful role that when they spoke with authority, when they challenged us what, it, what to believe, you had to listen. And Jesus was understood in that way not too surprising to us. So he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago. He's talking about Moses, and they all know that. You shall not murder. And you see that little A in square brackets there? Normally, I delete those when I put these in because you can click on those on my app, and then you get the footnote. You can't click on my screen. I can't click on that. It doesn't help us here. I left that in because I want to point out that that footnote goes back to the Old Testament because, as you probably know, you shall not murder is one of the Ten Commandments, right? So it just says, this is where it says this in the Old Testament. But what that means is, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, is not in the Ten Commandments, right? That is midrash, and you don't need to know that word. It just means the tradition of people, what the rabbi said about you shall not murder, is and included, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That was the traditional teaching. Jesus, as an authoritative rabbi, adds something to that. And my question is, is anger absolutely evil? Because Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Let me unpack this. Because I do hold that question for real. Is anger absolutely evil? We hope not, because Ruthann just said earlier in the service that we're even allowed to be angry at God, and... I'm not thrown under the bus. I agree with her. Anger is an emotion that comes up. You can't actually stop anger from happening, right? You need to be able to process your anger and understand your anger. So the emotional part of anger is not sin. It's just your emotional response to something. You should be angry 
if somebody does something totally unjust, right? That's a good, healthy, emotional response. So what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about, and you'll see that in a number of the illustrations in this whole section, he's talking about people who hold on to their anger, who stay in anger. The beauty of Greek is it has verbs that tell you that happened in an instant, and that was a continuing activity, right? Continually hanging on to your anger and deciding that I get to be angry at this person because they hurt me even 30 years ago, right? That is unhealthy. And what Jesus says about it here also requires a few comments. If you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be subject to judgment. Now, when we hear the word judgment in the Christian church anyways, we usually jump straight to this is the last day and for some reason we think it's Simon Peter or, or St. Peter who's going to let us in. There's no biblical evidence for that whatsoever. But anyways, on that last day of judgment, we quickly jump to there. What's actually going on here, and you'll see that because the next one, as I read it, it was the Sanhedrin or to the courts. This is right now present. We're not talking about your eternal destiny in this conversation. We're talking about if you hang on to your anger, that judgmental anger of your own is going to leave you in a place of being judged yourself. Let me illustrate it this way. Think of somebody who you think might possibly have anger issues. Don't name them. Just think of them in your head. And recognize, how do you treat a person who has anger issues? You avoid them. You at least avoid controversial con conversations with them. You judge them, or they get judged themselves, by being distanced from, by being left on the outside because nobody really wants to get into it because who knows what's going to happen when that anger comes out. So one, anger is not absolutely evil, and the judgment that happens here is actually present day, right? Jesus isn't yet talking about the final judgment, at least not in this particular context. The overflow of the heart. I think this is the heart of the matter, ironically. Again, Jesus says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, and apparently nobody knows exactly what raka means. It's probably basically a swear word, right? It sounds awful, raka. If I say raka, it sounds, you know, just the way the word works. That's all I got on that one. If you say that, you're answerable to the court or you're answerable to the, to the Sanhedrin um, in the other NIV version of this. So Jesus I think in the Sermon on the Mount is doing a single sermon, sort of like I'm doing a single sermon here. He says a whole bunch of things near the end of it, and this is Luke's version, because Luke also has a version of this sermon. Near the end of it, he says, from, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And it's in that context when he's talking about, we know a tree by its fruit. That makes lots of sense in this area, right? In the springtime here, you go drive around and you see the, the beautiful blossoms and you can see that if the blossom is this color, it's that kind of tree, if you know those things. And if it's this color, it's probably that kind of tree. A little later, you can see the leaves and that might help you. Some of you are really smart. You can actually just look at the bark of a tree and know what kind of tree it is. I know I can't do that. But all of us, even people not so bright like me, when we see cherries on a tree, we know for sure it's a cherry tree, right? Everybody can do that one, even me. Apples are on apples trees. Pears are on pear trees, right? Can I get an amen on that? We all agree with that, right? All right. That's the thing I'm most sure of in life. Jesus says, we're like trees. You know what kind of trees we are by the fruit we bear. And then in the Luke version anyways, he says, because what you say with this organ, your mouth, shows what's going on in here. And I want to suggest to you, no, I want to tell you, 
that that's the most important thing you need to understand about the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus has indeed raised the bar for us. Do not be angry. Don't hang on to that anger. Make sure you process your anger. But what he's not saying is, try harder to keep that anger inside. Because you know what happens, right? Psychologically, if you just try and press your anger down, you're going to blow up. So I'm going to admit this. I played hockey all of my life. Some of my colleagues, I think actually Pastor Sid, by the way, was one of these people. I'm just going to throw Sid under the bus. Hi, Sid. Good to talk to you again. A lot of my colleagues, when they started a ministry, quit playing hockey. And you can imagine why pastors would quit playing hockey, because pastors on the ice get a penalty, say something terrible, get angry, and everybody knows about it. I must admit, I've actually stood on the platform at the beginning of a service having to apologize because of what happened at last night's church hockey league game, right? If I spend my life trying to press down what's angry inside of me, it will come out either while I'm playing hockey or while I'm riding my bike. That's my experience, right? So I can try to be a less angry person, but that's not Jesus' solution. Jesus' solution is you've got to figure out what's going on in your heart because that's going to reveal, um, that's going to shape what actually comes out of your mouth. So if you want to speak kinder words, start processing, why am I such an angry person? Why do we respond like that, right? And again, this is a longer journey. I can't give you all the details of how to do it. I can tell you again about the leader's journey, the book that our staff has been working on. I can invite you into a journey. If you want to go on a journey of dealing with whether it's anger or whatever else is on in your life, and trust me, you all have something to deal with, then let me know. I would be tickled to form a group of people who want to go on a journey to deal with their stuff, okay? I don't know that I can say that any more clearly than that. Because all of us have stuff to deal with. All of us will let it overflow. Most of us have learned how to hold it down and look proper when we're supposed to. But the Jesus answer is, look at your heart. Go on a longer journey of just being honest. You know what? I got some rotten stuff in my heart. And the more I confess it and hear your forgiveness and find out that you do too and that you accept me just the way I am, just like Jesus does, the more likely I am to be able to be peaceful. So those of you who play hockey with me right now, I think so far this year, I have been a very good boy. I'd like to think that I'm maturing, right? It just could be that I'm too old and tired to do anything more than I do now, but I'm going with I'm maturing, and that's why I'm not losing my temper. You can mature is what I want to be able to say. So I've never said raka, so I figure I'm clear on this one, right? Oh, no. And anyone who says you fool, I think I've called people a fool before. Maybe not to their face, because I've read the Bible and I know I'm not supposed to. What I'm suggesting here is that legalism isn't going to get you out of this one, right? So you read this, and if you want to be a legalist, which most of us on the inside need to admit we do want to be a legalist, just tell me the rules, right? You just want me, just tell me the answers. As long as they don't say raka and you fool, I'm okay. No, no, no. Jesus is saying the real question, of course, is not which word you use, it's what's going on in your heart, and how does that overflow? And again, he says here, you'll be in the danger of the fire of hell. I'm going, surely, Eric, this time he's talking about eternal judgment. I'm going to say no again. My suggestion to you is that this is, again, a present-day reality he's talking about. When you read hell in the Bible, 95% of the time is Jesus saying it, and 100% of those times... Yeah, he is saying Gehenna, which is garbage dump. So what he's saying is the same thing I said earlier. 
Being in danger of the fire of hell means that if you call everybody a fool, if you're an angry person, if that keeps overflowing, if you're abusive with your language, you're going to find yourself on the outside. And the garbage dump in a, in a Jewish city was on the outside of town, right? And the weeping and gnashing of teeth is all the animals running around gnashing their teeth at each other trying to get the scraps that are there. Um, I have a horrible image in my head of, of I went to Haiti a number of times and being in Port-au-Prince, and Port-au-Prince has a Gehenna. It's an ongoing burning garbage dump on the outside of town. And what's horrifying about it is not that there's garbage. I've seen that before. There's people there. There's people there picking up the junk, whatever little bit of value they might be able to find in that horrible place. That's hell. It's living in such a way that you're outside of healthy community and you're picking up the scraps from other people Morally speaking or, or emotionally speaking, this is, this is the person who's, who's picking up the gossip and picking up the negative things and, and pulling that all together, right? That's the garbage dump of other people's junk. If you don't deal with your anger, the ongoing result of where you're heading is you're going to be in Gehenna, you're going to be in the dump, you're going to be on the outside, you're going to be in that emotional mess picking other people's junk up to deal with and hang on to, Right? That's why Jesus says, don't do these things. Try and find a healthy way to live now, right? This isn't about eternal life insurance. This is about how we live and deal with this now. The place of religious activity. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, read, if you're in the worship service, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, so right about now, Leave your gift there in front of the altar and go make amends. I want to suggest to you that what Jesus is saying here is it doesn't do you a hill of beans of good to be sitting here if you're not doing the stuff that heals relationships and deals with the stuff on the inside. You get no bonus points with God for showing up here unless what's being said here actually reshapes, transforms the way you live. Okay? I should have asked, can I be blunt before I said that, but too late now. Because we believe in restoring relationships. First, go and be reconciled to them. You know why Jesus needs to say this, right? Because we don't like doing this. I don't like doing this. This is the hardest work, right? If I have tension with somebody, I would like to send somebody else. Thank you very much. Or I'd like to just complain to Ruth Ann about somebody else. That's a lot easier because she'll, yeah, poor you, Eric, right? Jesus' way is if somebody has something against you, assume this, if you have something against somebody else, go there. And hopefully you haven't just been shoving your anger down because then you're going to get in a fight and it's just going to boil over and you're going to say horrible things. Hopefully, you're at a mature enough place or you're mature or smart enough to bring someone along who is so that you can settle things with somebody else. You can have a meaningful conversation. You can listen and understand. You can um, be in a challenging conversation where you actually hear the other person and you actually sense that you are heard yourself. Have you experienced that? Because that's one of the most beautiful things in the world. I've had the privilege of being in those conversations where even if it's my stuff, I share with somebody, you know, I, I think I hurt you in this way, and I'm sorry about that. And when they respond with grace and maturity, 
that brings a depth of relationship that probably nobody can break again, right? And I want to suggest to you that who we are as a community, the way we move forward in, in making this a healthier world is by being people who are able to enter into difficult conversations about difficult topics, especially the ones that actually include things that we have done, and deal with them in grace and truth and move forward. We have to believe that saying things like, well, that's just the way she is, is not helpful. The way she is is the way God created her to truly be, which is a healthy human being in full and healthy human relationships. We have to believe that we can restore these relationships. If you have long-standing anger with somebody, if you recognize that stuff boiling over in you, please find a way to deal with those things because that's what Christ is calling us to do. Don't get pushed to the side. Don't get ignored. Don't have people tiptoeing around you. Don't be in the garbage dump. Don't be in hell in this life. Find a way to process these things that allow you to move forward and grow in your maturity. The end we are working toward. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. High bar, right? High bar here. Jesus is calling us to the standard that even when somebody is mean to us, hurts us, we find a way to hope for their best, to bring healing in that relationship, and to walk forward. Be clear, this does not mean you need to let somebody abuse you. It does not mean you have to pretend it never hurts. That's not maturity. It means that you need to believe in restoring relationships enough that you will find a way to say, I won't be satisfied until I can pray for my enemies and bless them and pray for the people who torment me or persecute me. Now, this is a sermon also on abuse. The reason I'm talking so much about anger is I want to suggest to you that a lot of the broken things that we do, the abusive things that we do in community have everything to do with internalized anger that we're not dealing with, right? I think it's more important for all of us because we probably all agree abuse is terrible, it shouldn't happen. The message today is, how do you deal with your stuff that puts you in danger of hurting and breaking another person? How do you stop the cycle if somebody else has broken and hurt you? How do you face those things down? How do you stop them, and how do you help us all move forward? Be children of your heavenly Father, Jesus says. In other words, God is incredibly gracious and loving, right? He's also incredibly challenging, calls us to do the right thing. And he holds us to that standard and say, follow me, meditate on my graciousness, focus on how incredibly forgiving I've been in your life, and see if that can't start overflowing into how you heal relationships in your life. And then that line, and I think this drives a lot of us crazy, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I've heard lots of you, and I've heard probably hundreds of people in my life say, well, nobody's perfect which makes this verse highly unhelpful, doesn't it? Are we allowed to say that? This is one of those times where I'm going to tell you, I think they translated it wrong, or at least unhelpfully, okay? The better way of saying this, one second, I need my phone. Got to make a call. Phone a friend. You can do that in sermons, you know. I was kidding. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you. 
I'll tell you when to laugh, that works out well. Um, the message version, Eugene Peterson, what a marvel. When he wrote, translated his own version of the Bible, he put it this way. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Be mature. I like that, and I think it's far more incredibly accurate, right? So when I tell you to be perfect, you start beating yourself up, and you use that as a right to beat other people up because you realize I'm not perfect, but I should be perfect, right? I should never be angry, and you get mad at yourself. And again, you're, you're just continuing the cycle, right? You're multiplying the anger by being angry at yourself or being angry at other people. The Jesus way is to grow up, and what he really means when he calls us to grow up is be honest and real and authentic. Be like a little child. Remember I gave you that illustration that I got from my Bama friend of the little kid trying to walk up the hill and falling down and laughing and then trying it again, right? When you get angry, be that little kid and laugh at yourself for being a person who's angry. I know that sounds strange. It's probably pretty hard to do, right? But if you have a group of people who you trust and you're able to say to them, I did it again. I lost my cool while I was driving at somebody. It makes no sense. I shouldn't do that. I know that, right? And they go, yeah, glad you shared that, right? Let's pray a prayer of, of forgiveness. I'm glad you confessed that, right? Eventually, you're actually going to find that you are less angry because you started admitting what you're, you're growing up. You're being more mature about that, right? Maturity is not stuffing it down. Maturity is actually understanding God's calling me to this standard, and I get there by being a child of my heavenly Father, humble enough to laugh at myself for not quite being there yet, but trusting enough as a child to keep on taking a step in that direction. Whatever you do, don't think that perfection means it's too high for me, I can't get there, and quit trying. God says, in my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Through Christ, we can do all these things that he calls us to. The Bible is full of those promises but it happens when we band together, get real and honest, and start walking on a journey of seeing how does God's grace actually transform the way that I live. Are you interested in coming on that journey? It's scary, because it means we've got to look at things and we've got to deal with things. But it's scary because he's good and he's powerful and because it's true. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we're aware that much happens in our world and in our relationships that's horrible, that's abusive, that's broken, and that's sinful. And Lord, we pray today that beyond looking at what others have done along the way, we can start to take a look at ourselves, at our anger, which you, Lord Jesus, called murder. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't satisfy ourselves with not having killed anybody, but that we would look for your standard, which calls us to deal with what's going on inside of us, with our thoughts and feelings and emotions that are negative and broken. And Lord, we pray that as we walk forward in faith together with you and each other in your spirit, that we'd be able to see ourselves grow and let go of that which is dark and allow in that which is light, that we may in you be the light of the world on this journey. These things we pray, Jesus, in faith. Amen.